Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Game Talk Live podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Roman, and if you'd like to watch the show live and interact with us in chat, you can find us at 2 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter at Game Talk Live. Enjoy the show. Today on Game Talk Live, we examine the seedy underbelly of the mobile gaming market, along with the Nintendo Switch's recent foibles regarding shovelware. Let's dig in. I'm Mandy Roman, and welcome to Game Talk Live, where we discuss the biggest video game news of the day, live with help from our chat audience. Joining me now are two expert guests to discuss these gaming topics and more. First up is Kevin. Kevin Mahoney is a developer who has spent over a decade working in several different industries, including games, marketing, and entertainment. He currently resides in the Seattle area and spends most of his free time complaining about how unbalanced Overwatch competitive mode is. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Mandy. Great to be back, and it's still very unfair. <laughs> is it still unfair because of the new Symmetra changes? Oh, it's going to be so awful. <laughs> All right. Also joining us today is Candice. She's a streamer, a lifelong gamer, and a veteran of the games industry. Since then, she started a successful costume business and candle line on SteamWolf.com. Hi, Candice. Hi, Mandy. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here. <clears throat> Great. Thanks. All right, guys, let's hop right to it. Bethesda recently announced that it is suing Warner Brothers and Behavior Interactive over their newly released Westworld mobile game. Behavior had a hand in creating Fallout Shelter, which bears striking similarities to Westworld and identical performance bugs found in both titles point, oh, excuse me, point directly towards code being recycled by the developers. This move by Behavior seems pretty ballsy since they originally built the code for Fallout Shelter. Should the code be theirs to do as they wish, or do you believe ownership lies with Bethesda? Kevin, what do you think? Uh, well, first of all, there's usually contracts that dictate who gets ownership over the source code. Um, it can get kind of nitty-gritty sometimes, so sometimes they might want to retain ownership over certain parts of an engine or certain things. but. Uh, if there's a lawsuit going out, then that means that there's more than likely a good case for it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think that it, it, it's a little strange because behavior kind of touts themselves as like being like Canada's largest independent game studio. And so it, I, I don't think that independent necessarily equates to indie in the way that we think of it. It's actually a very large 25-year-old company. And it has lots of different contracts with a lot of large studios, both movie and uh, and game. So mm -hmm. um, a, a game like uh, Fallout Shelter kind of fits a niche. And if, if they have a small team working on something like that, I could see them prone to reusing a lot of code to mm -hmm. kind of uh, release the next game. So I, I think it's it's something that you see a lot in in development industries, but I think in this case, it's just so blatant that behavior is getting slapped on the wrist for it. I love and that I think, you're, yeah, I just want to make an anecdote okay. that you've got this giant Canadian flag behind you as you're talking about this <laughs> Canadian game studio. Yeah, but they're, they're in Quebec, so it's kind of a different Canada. Oh, okay. <laughs> well noted. Uh, do you want to finish your thought there? I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess to, to give another example is, I mean, I, I've been in, uh, uh, for, for example, I see a lot of code in places where they don't belong. Um, there's one studio that will rename name or remain nameless, but I remember when I had to check out their Perforce repository, they had the source code for Gears of War 3 sitting there. 
they didn't work on Gears of War 3, and they didn't actually do anything with that code, near as I can tell, but it just sat there. And I think it's just the nat- the volatile nature of the, the games industry. People come and go from studio to studio, and sometimes they bring stuff with them in their backpack. Um, and then you could always have, like, the back-channel stuff between CXOs or like, oh, yeah, you know, check this out under the table, whatever. But mm-hmm. in this case, it's definitely a blatant, like, we wanted to probably release another game as quickly as possible. Let's reuse this code base for this type of game. And I think they were just a little too apparent with it. But sure. I, I guess time will tell once the courts decide. Right. I mean, Candice, do you think this was just a smart business by behavior? <laughs> or I mean, to me, from an outsider, it feels like a very efficient way to sell the same concept genre to multiple licensors like a Bethesda, like a Warner Brothers, and just keep keep it rolling. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, but it also is not a good situation for uh, Bethesda because that's their, you know, they make a lot of money on that, and it was new. It was different, and... Um, it's. I'm sure somebody at Warner Brothers was like, hey, we like this game, so make this game for us just with Westworld. Um, plus, it also really depends. Like, if, if Bethesda has it in their contract that nobody else can use this sort of, of system, making a literally a copy of it and just reskinning it is kind of kind of crappy on uh, the developer's part, especially if it's within their contract. Um, saving some time and a few extra dollars versus an actual lawsuit, it's something they probably should have thought about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, do you think that Warner Brothers saw Fallout Shelter and said this would make a great game with Westworld, a Westworld skin basically on top of it? Or do you think it was they had no Ooh. idea? I'm sure they saw I'm, I'm sure they saw it because somebody had to pitch the idea and they would have to go through a list of examples and be like, Let's make it like Fallout Shelter, but this you know mm-hmm. you know how those pitch meetings go. I think that they're still probably they're probably still on, on, ultimately on the receiving end of a lawsuit that they didn't I mean they weren't really in charge of the code. It seems like Behavior Interactive was the people that did this. So right. I, I think they're getting caught in the crossfire, unfortunately, because I think it's ultimately a faux pas perpetrated by Behavior Interactive. Right. So um, speaking of other copycat games, Donut County has been in development for five years and still hasn't been released. A similar title, Hole.io, just released this month and is now the number one game on the App Store. With so many knockoff games in the mobile marketplace, how do these titles uh, stand out? Uh, Is it just being first to market? Uh, Candice, what do you think? Uh, so, for, first of all, mobile gaming is sort of the wild, wild west of, of, of knockoffs. There are so many knockoffs of so many different kinds of things. You could go up there right now. Um, you remember Flappy Bird, for example. You go up there right now, there's a hundred different copies of Flappy Bird. It's the same system. It's the same game. Um, it's just everybody trying to, you know, either reskin things or make a quick buck. Um, but honestly, it, it, it's usually first to market or free. If you have a, a good working knockoff and it's free, people are going to play it if no matter what. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, Donut County was maybe announced too soon, Kevin? I mean, does this kind of open this can of worms of like, should developers release any information prior to coming to market with their title uh, for fear of being copied? I, I think it depends. Um, taking five years to to release a product to market in the mobile space is taking a huge risk because you open the doors to a lot of copycats that can just say, "Well, we can go ahead and just do this too, um, and we'll do it in less time." Mm-hmm. Um, and you see knockoffs all the time. Uh, it, it really depends on 
you as a developer, you have to make it so that your idea is is something that people want to wait around for. And in this case, it's obvious that all the effort put into the story and the aesthetics wasn't what gamers were looking for. If it's you know a top selling app in terms of the ripoff, which doesn't carry any of those things, which it sucks as when you're an artist because mm-hmm. you want to release a very nicely fully complete game. Like imagine like, you know, the Undertale creator guy. Imagine if somebody released a game, a clone like that, but didn't have all the whimsy in it. Do you think that might have been as successful? Probably not because it's basically like a text-based RPG. But this, it's people love the mechanics of taking a hole and swallowing things up. It's like uh like a, a total win-win for mobile space because it's one of those type, time killer types of games, like mm-hmm. a Katamari for your phone. Right. So uh, we do have a quote from uh, Ben Esposito. He's a developer of Donut County. He says, it stings a little after five plus years of convincing people a game about a hole in the ground is a good idea. (laughs) So, uh, Candice, I mean, how do you feel about, you know, developers releasing information, uh, you know, up until the game's release? Was five years just too long? Is this kind of like you took too long, so this is what's going to happen? Yeah, it, um, okay. For example, there are some things that I've backed on, you know, crowd crowdfunding websites. Um, this is kind of the same along the same lines. It's you take forever to make a product and some sort of company, usually China, will turn around and bust that product out faster than you have a chance to for cheaper. It's always it, it just never fails. It, it's going to happen. Um, same goes with mobile games. I feel like if you have a new idea and you think it's going to be awesome keep it to yourself for just a smidge longer because odds are nobody thought of that idea yet and it had they done what say bethesda did and just said hey uh fallout shelter is available now go ahead and download it they would have probably had a ton of new people versus now it's like are people gonna want buy the game is the you know the the shiny newness gonna wear off by the time the game is out mm-hmm. so yeah so are we just at a point now where, say, all video games and even other forms of media are just iterative and taking inspiration from the other? Are there truly any original ideas at this point, Kevin? <laughs> That's a really tough question. It is, I, <laughs> well, I mean, you could look at the at the ripoff chain for what happened with Overwatch. You had, uh, was it Paladins that came out, which was a blatant rip off. I think I think High Red Studio is pretty good at taking looking at an idea and saying, that's a great idea. We'll do something like that. But so we'll how is Hyra is able to get away with that and get, and continue to be profitable and successful and maybe other Overwatch clones or not? Well you can't really you can't really patent something like Overwatch because Overwatch took cues from Team Fortress, which took cues from Quakes capture the flag in like the late '90s, so mm-hmm. it's really tough to do that. I mean, there's going to be blatant ripoffs, obviously, um, and so you can try to get them on content or or uh, method. But I mean, it's really really hard to do something that's iterative like that. But like that footage we're looking at right now, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that looks like a, a blending of like the uh, the Ilios Lighthouse map, I think it is, mm-hmm. or one of the Ilios maps. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, so, I mean, people will just keep pushing and pushing and see what they can do. And if they get sued, um, and especially when it's international lawsuits, those are tough to prosecute and they take forever to defend. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
you can even, as a shop, just fold up and then start up a new one. Right. So um, would you say this type of maybe competition actually breeds innovation and encourages developers to constantly improve their titles to stand out? I mean, I'm looking at, you know, the Donut County example. I'm like, clearly this guy's game looks much more fleshed out. The artwork's a lot cleaner. There's like more of a story element. Candice, what do you think? Uh, I, I think it's hard. Um, y- you have to kind of look at it from a what's going to make money and what's new and different and what to take a risk on. So, you know, developers and publishers will usually go into it looking at it and saying, hmm, this game's making a lot of money. Uh, We should develop a game that's in a similar space that can also make that kind of money. Whereas when you take a new idea, um, a lot of people don't want to take risks because it's a money pit sometimes. And you don't know what's going to be the next big thing and what's, you know, going to not make any profit whatsoever and you will have just wasted years and you know thousands of dollars on on nothing Mm -hmm. so i think it's looking at it from both sides of the you know spectrum it's kind of difficult it's easier to go and present numbers to a board meeting and say hey this game is making this much money right now if we make this much this kind of game and we're first to market to make a clone of a very similar game then we can also make that much money so it just really depends. Um, I think art has a little bit to do with it, and people love seeing new stuff. That's why we have so many different versions of, you know, like uh, battle royale games and, and card games, and, and people like new, exciting concepts and art, but not necessarily uh, are willing to put a lot of money and effort into a new game. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, Alexander and Will- uh, excuse me, Alexander Williams in chat says five years is too long if you've left too much information out there about it. Protect your IP. So, uh, you know, Candice, you brought this up a little bit, that this issue seems really rampant in the mobile space. So, um, Kevin, why do you think that is? Is it just lower overhead? It's easier to produce these titles and just throw them up on the App Store? Well, yeah. I mean, you you look at what Unity and Unreal Engine are providing. They provide basically, you can build your app or build your game and just have it automatically work on a phone. Well, not automatically. That's really reductionist, but you can you can basically build a a, a, a phone game pretty easily now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the mobile space is definitely unique because that's where you have a lot of time killer games. And so, I mean, I, I don't think if you're going to be writing your magnum opus game, you should not be doing it for mobile. Right. I mean, this guy took five years, and I'm sure it's like going to be a really great game. I'll, I'll play it. But like five years, that's like five models of iPhones ago, like when he started. <laughs> that's a so. really good point. <laughs> so- and, and like people will pick this up because they want to play a game on the bus or something like that. Like I, I like the concept of having a Katamari game like game on my phone speaking of like taking ideas and from other places um but like it's because i would probably play it while i'm on the train or something like that and i just like swallowing things you know it's not because of <laughs> i want to have a uh like an artistic experience while i'm sitting next to like some stinky, like stinky homeless guy on the bus or something like that so uh should the android or then ios stores maybe be more restrictive about what's allowed on their platform i mean Steam has clearly come out recently and says we're just going to be very hands-off about what gets, you know, what's on our platform. But, uh, Candice, what about Android or, you know, iOS stores? I think it's hard because they're all pretty hands-off as far as stuff is concerned when it comes to approving new games. You could have a broken game and submit it and, you know, do some microtransactions. You get some money there and then it's done and over with. You got your next one coming out. Mm -hmm. So I personally think that 
okay, let's let's talk about Steam for two seconds. I think that's a terrible idea to begin with, because as we've seen from the app stores, it's it's a terrible plan. Just throw making it even more of the Wild West is not going to solve your problems. It's going to be worse. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Um, I think it's. I just. I don't. At that point, it doesn't matter. Apps are so inexpensive to make these days, and if you are an app developer, you've got an idea that's, it could be a ripoff of something else, and you could make a little bit of money here and there, and it, it, there's no real startup. Uh, once it's out there, it's out there, and it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, let's move in to our second topic. More shovelware discussion, but maybe a little bit more polished. Uh, the Nintendo Switch is bridging the gap between mobile and console gaming, but the follies of being a hybrid are starting to pile up. So is the Switch in danger of becoming inundated with shovelware or just becoming a hub for mobile ports? Candace, what do you got? So I think it's interesting in that the Switch was made to be a mobile device, but they're in a space where mobile device gaming is kind of large as it is. So the shovelware, again, I think is just, it's mucking up the whole the whole Switch situation. Um, I think it's great, but the Switch really does need to take a be- step back from that stuff. People don't want that kind of stuff. They, we, As we've seen with the Wii, there was a bunch of shovelware on the Wii. People don't necessarily want that. They want to see more Nintendo make more games. And I don't even know how many times we have to tell them, Nintendo, please make more games. Mm-hmm. Please make more games that are Nintendo licensed, not a bunch of as we're seeing right here, Ubisoft games. <laughs> They're literally all Ubisoft games. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, there's... Yeah. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I just... this The Switch... Nintendo needs to take a step back from that because it oversaturated the market when the Wii was out. And those games are not very good. Mm-hmm. Could, uh, could Nintendo's, I'd say, desire to get as many titles on the console um, as a possible result in the Switch just becoming a port machine like we saw with the Wii? Kevin, what do you think? I mean, yeah, it's weird because I think they're kind of, kind of being a little introspective and saying, like, should we go with the, the quantity over quality thing? Because people have constantly criticized us for being very closed off and being very... Uh, peculiar about what we curate and what we license on on the Nintendo systems, and I think they're trying to find a way back to go to those like go- golden days of like the Super Nintendo, where you had lots of different ports of popular games going there. And then they kind of closed off a bit when they started releasing some of their their later generation consoles until it became like Nintendo only IP and a few like exclusively licensed uh, uh, titles until those game development firms and shops decided that they wanted to release on other platforms too. Mm-hmm. And so now they're kind of faced off with that and then the whole mobile phenomenon. And then the other weird dynamic here is that they have like no plans on releasing the switch to like China, for example, which is a huge market. And so like to, to kind of get in bed with Tencent, like Tencent would have to basically, if they wanted to, Tencent wanted to release stuff on the Switch. They'd do that as like their foray into the United States because. Well, I'm I'm glad you yeah. brought that up, Kevin, because uh, it's recently been announced that massively successful Chinese mobile title Arena of Valor will be ported to the Switch, a Tencent title. Consoles are an inherent part of gamer culture here in the West. So, how does partnering with Nintendo and a major console here set them up for success, Kevin? 
I, I think it's Tencent's kind of entry point. Well, I mean, it's not their only entry point because obviously, like almost everything's owned by Tencent now. <laughs> um, I'm probably owned by Tencent and probably don't even know it. Uh, but uh, I mean, because you know, they 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 own Riot Games, so uh, I, I think they've been kind of like an actor behind the scenes. But they've been. I, I think it's an it's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting endeavor, I guess I would say, because Nintendo is not really looking to invest in in China, but they definitely are looking to partner with Tencent because Tencent has that type of outreach. Mm-hmm. And I think releasing uh, Tencent has the the clout to like really promote a game or a title, and so I think it would be kind of a, a, a I don't know a little bit of wind beneath Nintendo's wings to kind of keep the Switch afloat. Mm-hmm. Uh, considering how saturated the mobile market is, uh, could this be key in getting Arena, or excuse me, giving I guess Arena of Valor success here in the states, Candice? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting in that uh, people are always going to try new things. They're always going to say, "Oh, hey, this is a massively popular game in another country." If they are, you know, serious mobile gamers, they'll they'll try something new. Um, and people love those style of games anyway. So I, I don't see why it wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, do very well in, in the States. I think, I, th- I don't think that we give, you know, I mean, we give other countries a shot as far as developing. Why wouldn't um, this game be any different? Mm-hmm. And I love that we're talking about copycat games. And I literally thought I was looking at League of Legends, but no, it is Arena of Valor in that last footage. Um, so, uh, Kevin, do you think this is opening up maybe a new distribution channel where traditionally mobile titles go to Switch first and then they kind of build their audience and then go mobile? It could be. I, I think it'd be. I think a trend would be established if if um, if that game became popular and then if they decided to do kind of what I guess PUBG did, where they released a mobile version. If they if Tencent did a similar thing with Europa and tried to release that on the Switch, then I think we'd see that they were really buying in fully into this idea. Mm-hmm. So um, speaking about titles released on the Switch, Gear Club Unlimited was released, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, last year for $45, which was originally a free-to-play mobile title. Uh, microtransactions and the energy meter were removed from the console edition. So does this justify a $45 price tag? Candace, what do you got? Oh, no, I I'm, I hate when companies do this. They go, they have this game that's already on the market, and then they re-release it with, uh, you know, <sighs> charging people. If they're not playing it to begin with, or if, you know, you're, you've got this free game, people aren't going to turn around and spend money on it. Do you think people are desperate for Switch titles, so they might? Uh like the I mean, misinformed, maybe. like so, someone that yeah, doesn't know that yes. it was a mobile title. Yeah. I, I do I do think that somebody will spend money on it, which is unfortunate. Um, and it makes me sad because if we could just get Nintendo to develop some, some first-party titles, that would be awesome. And the Nintendo fanboys and girls wouldn't have to be so stressed out about trying to, you know, satisfy their appetite all the time. Because <laughs> that's what happens with Nintendo. It happens every generation. And we look at this and we haven't learned from it yet. Because it's happened forever. So how much would you personally be willing, I would love to hear from both of you, Candace first, how much would you be willing to shell out for a title that was originally a mobile title that then gets ported to the Switch? <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can start by answering this okay, one because I have take, done that take a it, lot. Oh, have but you? not okay. to the Switch. Not to the Switch. Okay. But, I mean, Square Enix is like a classic example where they've been re- re-releasing like the same, like, 
SNES, then Game Boy Advance, then DS, then to mobile, and then to PC on Steam, which is mostly just mobile ports. I've opened my wallet for each of those. I am ashamed to admit that. Um, That's a good I, point. I, I think. Uh, I, I think for in terms of the Switch, it depends ultimately on what they're releasing and how much they're going to charge. Because the the Square Enix titles, like they charge like nineteen bucks a pop for those things. If but it's a mobile those were title, full experiences when they released initially. So it's not like they were mobile titles. And then yeah, they're yeah, released they're, on console, they, yeah. Yeah, but still, they still release it at half the price of what, you know, a $45 game. Um, and so if that wasn't even considered a full experience because it was targeted towards a mobile type of thing, mm -hmm. uh, then I, I probably wouldn't justify the cost. But I, I can't speak for everybody. I mean, if they actually go back and revamp it, and then I'm always a fan of killing microtransactions in exchange for just paying for the game. Um, so I, I'm okay with that. I would be a little perturbed if I had owned the mobile game before and dumped a lot of money into it microtransaction wise and then they released you know mm -hmm. the full game then i'd be kind of pissed off but yeah. i mean if it's something i haven't played before i might bite all right candace what is your your magic number your magic dollar amount oh man that's hard it, it really it could just be depends. zero dollars you could take it's it, it really depends because, uh, you know, I've I've done the same thing. I've repurchased games, but I buy so many games that I do my very best not to buy them at full price. So <laughs> summer sales are my friend. Um, but when it comes down to certain games, I have had buyer's remorse where they were, you know, $40, $50 games and they were maybe worth $10 at most. So it, it, it really just depends on the game. Um, I mean, I would say half of a half of a Switch game you know, average Switch game cost is what I would maybe pay if I'm that desperate for a, especially a race car game. Mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah. Um, so I do want to bring up this hilarious copycat game. So we, we know about uh, Death Stranding coming out eventually, hopefully, from Kojima. Um, and we have a game coming out uh, that I think it's already out called Deadly Stranding has been released uh -huh. for the iOS uh, we can take a little look at it here. Uh, quote, you can finally try playing the great genius Kojumbo. Everyone knows Kojumbo genius. Therefore, the game is brilliant. Is literally the tagline for this game. <laughs> so if you guys can't wait for Death Stranding, you now have an alternative title. All right, guys. So uh, <laughs> does the Switch filling its library with mobile titles hurt uh, the Switch's integrity as a as a console? Kevin, what do you think? I uh, honestly, yeah, I think it, I think it does because I think it means that they're not putting too much stock into their their first party titles. Um, I, I know people have been criticizing Nintendo no matter what they do because first they're like, oh, you only release first party titles, you guys have no games. But now it's like they're com going like the complete polar opposite, and we're just like, yeah, we'll just dump shovelware on there, call it good, you know. I, um, yeah, I have a I have a real problem with that, and I don't have a really good answer for Nintendo on how to proceed because they've been going down that road for so long. But they're known for quality games and quality curation, so right. I, I think as long as they use as an asset, they'll be fine. Yeah, Candice, what do you think? Does uh, Nintendo's desperation uh, to fill their library put them in danger? Uh, yeah, I mean, I 100% I agree uh, with the, everything that was just said. I, uh, I just wish they would just come out with some first-party stuff that people want. Because mm -hmm. um, people, yeah, you can play the same games over and over and over and over again. And people are going to go out of their way to buy them if they really, really want them. But these games are also available on everything else. And most people have other consoles or PCs. And 
some if some of them are available on mobile, then people are going to play them on mobile as well. I don't even understand why anybody would buy a Switch at this point. So they for need the to first sort of, party titles. I mean, I think correct. that's the reason a lot of us have bought Nintendo consoles right. at all. Yeah. So I mean, it's it disappoints me that they're not after years and years and years of this repetitive thing where they eventually put shovelware on their stuff, they've got to quit that or, or people are going to start giving up on them. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, this has been a fantastic discussion. A huge thank you to all of our viewers and our guests. Uh, tell us what you're currently working on and where people can find you on social media, starting with Kevin. Well, I'm not currently working on anything interesting. Um, you can find me on Kaboy- at Kaboink on Twitter. And instead of... Uh, plugging something I'm doing. I want to plug Games Done Quick. Um, they're doing the, the Summer Games Done Quick thing. Uh, it's a charity streaming event for people that do speedrunning of video games. Uh, all donations go to Doctors Without Borders, so it's a great cause, and you get to watch really cool speedruns. So all right. Thanks, Kevin. All right, Candice, what do you currently have going on, and where can people find you online? I am currently streaming like a mad woman. So you, are. you can find me. I am. I am streaming like crazy. You can find me on Twitch at uh, Vampire Kitten. Same. Every vampire kitten everywhere. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Game Talk Live. If you like what you hear, give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Game Talk Live. Mandy Roman, signing off.